welcome to the Hometown Hero Outdoors Podcast. Here is your host, Chris Tatro. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Hometown Hero Outdoors Podcast. I'm guest host Phil Ewert, filling in for Chris Tatro, who is just returning from Texas from an HHO event. Chris has been burning the midnight oil for HHO the last few weeks and had family obligations tonight, so unfortunately he could not be here with us. So I get to fly solo with my special guest and friend, Pete Ripmaster. As you may remember, uh, Pete and uh, Chris and I had a great chat about a month ago with Pete. Ended up running out of time on the podcast, so Pete graciously <laughs> agreed to return because he apparently has a lot more to talk about. <laughs> so welcome, <laughs> Pete. Thanks for joining us again. How are we doing tonight? Hey, we're doing wonderful, Phil. Thanks for having me back. And uh, yeah, sure. yeah, a few, few things left to be unsaid, so let's let's have another chat. Outstanding. And so for those who uh, might have missed part one of our podcast, I highly recommend going back and listening to it as Pete kind of recounts uh, a lot of his, uh, some of his growing up and going through his, uh, what he did on the Iditarod uh, foot race. And so Pete is a complex guy, found his peace of mind through the outdoor therapy when he won the 2018 Iditarod Trail Invitational, which is a 1,000 mile foot race. Still boggling the human mind that you can do 1,000 miles on foot um, and so again, go back, listen to that podcast. You can hear some of that, but what I do want to do is I want to touch briefly on the ITI that you talked about in the last podcast, because we ended up, you were talking about how you had a spiritual moment on the trail. Yeah. And so I'd like you to give us some parting highlights of the 1000 mile race and then how that set you up, uh, for what you're doing now. Yeah, you know, um, as you talked about, that, you know, it's been almost six years now. Um, the, the Iditarod will be, the Iditarod Trail Invitational will take place in late February, and that will be six years since I've done the race. And so it's been a little chunk of time, but there's still a lot of vivid memories from, from that time of my life. And um, I learned a lot about myself um, through that, and it was nothing short of therapy for me. Um I had struggled a lot. Um, I had kind of been a lifelong searcher, I think I'd be willing to say. Just, you know, always looking for something deeper and uh, trying to understand myself a little bit better. And uh, I found that, you know, pushing myself in the outdoors um, most of the time by myself was a great way to just kind of um, be there with your own thoughts, you know, and 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 think through your life and and think through, um, you know, where you want to go in life, where you've been. But most most importantly, I I truly feel like I found I found mindfulness out there. I found I found the present moment, um, which had been escaping me for a long time. I think I spoke about last time that, you know, um, my most of my life all up until, you know, numerous uh, six years ago was um, either living in depression um, uh, about things, about things I couldn't change about my life or things I wished I could have changed and, and things like that. Or else I would be in anxiety about, you know, what I needed to do and who I needed to become. And, you know, that whole entire time, I really wasn't giving any 
any uh, thought about uh, now, the present moment. And uh, so that really about 800 miles into the Iditarod uh, Trail, uh, you know, that just kind of came over me um, as I call it kind of a spiritual epiphany. But, um, you know, I just had I had I have beaten myself up. I was a professional at that. And and I, I tend to see that, you know, um, I learned to love myself out there, you know, warts and all. Um, I just became really comfortable with with who I was. And uh, so it, and, you know, it took me all that time and all those thousands of miles to to get there and uh you know i had my my faith my my christian faith and then also you know these spiritual teachers that i was trying to listen to and understand and really it kind of just was like a big you know tornado that all of a sudden just hit and uh and took me over and i haven't stopped uh since so mindfulness is something that i you know, bring to the table daily. And uh, it's helped me a lot. And uh, it has helped me, you know, kind of mitigate the depression and anxiety that I felt that I know a lot of people struggle with. And uh, it's it's been a game changer for me. So it, it, intensive physical therapy in the wilderness was a, uh, a great, great tonic for me. Awesome. And so just to, we talked about it, you know, briefly last time as well it's not like the depression and anxiety went away. Right. You know, it's not like you were cured because no. on a, you were at 800 miles of a thousand mile race, but it helped you deal with it. Right. Yes. Yes. No, you're exactly right. You know, it, it, it's certainly what, and I still deal with it. I think you could talk to my daughters or my wife and, and they will tell you that I still have my moments and uh, you know, there's still some, some dark times and some darkness that, that comes from, but you know, I I I tend to look at it as a, as a roadblock. You know, when when I get too far down that road of depression or anxiety, I I kind of center myself and 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 a lot of times when I'm when I'm kind of fired up and thinking things through in my mind, I'm not breathing real well. You know, so it's something that like just comes back to the simple breath and and kind of um, understanding that you're okay right now you know you're not threatened at the moment and uh, and all is good it's it's a lot of you know back and forth with uh, with a monkey mind you know as as, uh, as I used to call it a lot you know yeah. just uh, chasing all the thoughts that go through your mind and and never really finding that peace and so um, yeah both both uh, you know depression's still there but uh, but I don't, I don't go down those roads like I used to. And, uh, and, and now I, uh, and also I still, you know, get outside a lot, you know? And so, uh, you know, I find that to be the the best therapy for me. You know, I feel, I feel my, my best when I'm outside, you know, um, and yeah. that that's always been the way for me, but, uh, but, you know, we live in a, a world where there's a lot of indoor and there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, technology and things. And sometimes I'll just get to the point where I go, you know, I got to give this a break and, and take a walk or go on a long run or, or what, you know, any, any number of things in the outdoors. But, uh, but yeah, it's always been, you know, some, somewhat of a church for me, you know? Well, and there's a famous quote and I'm not going to pretend to know who said it first because I've seen it on different places, but it, um, it says something like, I would rather be in the outdoors thinking about God that in church thinking about the outdoors and I've seen it attributed to hunting or fishing or all these other things. Yeah. And I'm not taking anything away from going to church. So don't, don't hate no me. Doubt. But, oh. Oh, <laughs> but there is a, there is something very special. I'm a deer hunter. 
And so I spend time out in the woods and some of my absolute most favorite times is climbing up in my tree stand with my bow when it's still like 4 a.m. and it's totally dark and it's totally silent and the woods start waking up. Yes. And you start hearing the rustling of the birds and they start waking up and you just see a glint just a glint in the distance of sunlight and the sky starts turning different shades of gray and then pinks and then orange. And that sun comes up and just, it's like blinding, but, and I have goosebumps when I'm even saying this, just because that experience is spiritual. Yes. You know, and and it's amazing to just have that just wash over you and just the calmness and not having your phone out and whatever, and just, experiencing that that nature moment like that and so that everyone has a different thing for me it's maybe an early morning deer stand for you it's a run or some right you know for uh, for other people it's you know it could be a horseback ride or it could be just a walk it could be sitting on their deck and having a cup of coffee but just having that alone time in the outdoors is and obviously hho is huge with that uh, absolutely. I, I agree. And I, I love that. That was a great visual, you know, and uh, I, I, I think about the same thing when I'm doing my my long ultra runs, you know, my hundred mile runs. And we'll talk yeah. more about that in a little bit. But, you know, there's the there's the really dark time that's like usually from, you know, midnight to four or five a.m. when it's really a challenge to stay awake. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're fighting the sleep monsters and you're tired and you're hungry and your feet hurt and you got chafing. And, 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 you know, and then, but like you said, then all of a sudden it's this, like, you start hearing the birds come up and, and you know, that, you know, you know, that another day's coming and you get encouraged by that, you know, and, and your body kind of picks up on that. And like, all of a sudden you feel like a little bit more fired up. And a lot of times, you know, at that point I'll have been running for 70, 80 miles. And so now it's like, okay, you know, the sun's rising and the next few hours I'm going to finish this run. And, uh, you know, so it's always like fighting through some tough times to get to that peaceful moment or that 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 new day, that new dawn. And uh, those are my favorite moments in ultra running for sure. So and again, like, you know, we each have our own thing. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer that we all have our own path. We all have our own things that make us happy. Um, it's different for everybody, you know, and so um, I never am like, you know, I, I I find it this way because the person next to me finds it a different way and whatever. I just really appreciate people that find their their path, you know, have enough courage to to go down those roads to find it. Totally agree. Yeah. And so, like you said, it's been six years. It's going right. to be six years. It's been about five and a half years. And, right. and we can't take it away from you. You were the winner which is amazing, but now you're doing new things. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, obviously you're not letting it define you. And so tell me about what you've been doing since. Yeah, absolutely. So when I got home from the Iditarod, I, I realized, I mean, it was a, such an arduous, tough road and, um, you know, and, and putting it all together and tinkering enough to, to end up winning the race and finishing most importantly, but mm-hmm. when I got home, you know, I found myself, what am I? I'll be I'll be 47 next month. So I was like early 40s when I won the Iditarod and, and get, came back to Asheville. And, 
you know, I was proud of the effort and re- realized that it was something that I definitely was going to hang my hat on. Like as far as like it was a, a childhood dream of mine to run the Iditarod. You know, I thought it would be with dogs, but I found a way to do it on my own. And so it was like it was this great thing. But I also like um, am one of these people that always wants to move forward. You know, like um, I don't want to be pigeonholed as Pete is this, you know, because Pete's a lot of different things. And so when I got home. Um, I kind of had this weird time when I was like, okay, well, you know, that was literally my dream from childhood and now I've accomplished it and won the race. And, and here I am back home. Like, you know, what do I do now with my life? And, uh, I told you that I had run 50 marathons in 50 States before I did all this, I did rod stuff and raised a lot of good money for, for, uh, breast cancer research in my mom's name. And so, um, I started thinking, long and hard. And I did some research and I found that um, there was roughly about 15 or 1600 people in this country that have run a marathon in all 50 states, of which I am proudly one. And uh, but I I, I kind of like to say that, you know, my mom and dad never raised me to be one of 1500 people that have done something, you know. And, and so um, I started looking, digging a little deeper, and I said, hmm, I wonder, I had run a couple hundred mile runs before, and I thought, I wonder how many people have run hundred, well, if there's 15 or 1600 people that have run marathons in all 50 states, I wonder how many people have run hundred mile runs in all 50 states. And I kind of put my feelers out there to the ultra running community, and the answer comes back that no one's ever done it. It's never been done. And so, um, so I, w- w- with that, I, I started thinking about things that I want to fundraise for. And I had this incredible snowy owl experience when I ran okay. the Iditarod. My first year on the Iditarod Trail, I was in last place all by myself in the wilderness, feeling bad for myself in a pretty dark time. And next thing you know, this beautiful white owl flies out of nowhere and just lays I stand it's on a tree next to me and is just staring at me <laughs> and I had this this uh, incredible kind of spiritual encounter with this owl and uh, it made such an impact on me and I remember thinking to myself like I I vividly feel this as somebody coming to check on me like, you know, um, owls are omens to a lot of people. And I had sure. this feeling that, and I've lost both of my parents at this point. So I was in my mind thinking, you know, man, this might be my, my mom or dad coming to, to check on me on the trail. And all of a sudden it gave me this kind of strength and, you know, I didn't feel alone and I, and I felt much better. And I went down the trail and this owl followed me for a little while and then flew oh, away. Wow. But it made such an incredible impression on me that when I decided that I was going to try and attempt to be the first person to run 100 miles in all 50 states, I thought, why don't I fundraise for the Owl Research Institute, which was this awesome nonprofit that I found up in Montana. And, okay. uh, and so that, you know, that there, as they say, the rest is history. I've been working like a madman towards this goal. And I find myself now uh, 25 states in to the project. Halfway, right? brother. Yeah, halfway, man. And oh my gosh, it's taken so much effort to get halfway. And so I know what I still have in front of me and it's, uh, I don't take anything for granted, but uh, I'll be heading to uh, Omaha, Nebraska next month. And that will be uh, actually this month in, in a few weeks. And uh, and that will be state 26. And I've raised, I think, uh, 
$34,000 so far for Owl Research Institute so far uh, in the project. So it's going Congratulations. It's going fantastic and it gives me purpose and uh, and and it helps me feel like I'm I'm doing good for others and uh, which is a big part of, you know, why I do this and uh, so it's it's good. It gives me a purpose but it's also doing good for for others and and in this in this case owls um, and the yep. people that study them. Um, but it's, it's been awesome and it, it's, it's been, it, it's been so fun. So you've gotten 25 States down, you have 25 to go. Right. So I have a two part question. Sure. Which state upcoming are you most looking forward to? Okay. I want to hear some of your craziest or best stories from the previous 25. Okay. Okay. Well, um, you know, I'm, I love the West. Um, you know, I live in North Carolina and Asheville and super happy here, but like my, my, I feel most comfortable in my spirit when I'm out in the wide open spaces. So, um, I love, you know, um, I've kind of kept a few States for later in the project. Montana will be my last state. Um, okay. I, I'm really looking forward to Idaho, um, uh, let's see, uh, Hawaii, you know, my, you know, my family wants to come to Hawaii. If you can imagine, you know, they I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they want to be a part of that one. So that, that will be fun. Um, I think Vermont and, uh, Maine, um, I love Maine. I love, you know, uh, love, uh, New Hampshire. So, you know, like just the, you know, I don't really get off too much on the big state, the, the big cities. Um, it's, yeah. it's certainly not, what I'm about. Um, although they're, they're fun for a little couple days for me. Um, I just don't ever feel quite at peace when I'm in the big cities. And so I try and find, you know, kind of easy, um, logistically easy, um, routes to do. And, um, so yeah, those are some of the States I'm looking forward to. Um, and then, um, a story I'll, I'll tell you a great, I'll tell you a great story. Um, and so, um, there's a, uh, ultra runner, um, her name is Darcy Pacu, and Darcy in the uh, ultra running world is uh, just a luminary. She's a legend, right? She's a, there's a race out in Colorado um, called the Hard Rock 100, and it's like one of the toughest races in the country. Um, oh, I can imagine a lot of elevation changes, tons of weather, um, really tough route. And, uh, and she's won that numerous, numerous times. And so she's a famous ultra runner and me and Darcy, um, somehow were, we, we both were brought up in Birmingham, Michigan. So, um, and so we kind of kept, kept tabs on each other a little bit. I certainly was watching what she was up to and uh, I would, you know, we would touch base here and there. And, uh, you know, at one point I was going to run the Leadville 100 in Colorado Sure. And uh, I thought I'd just give it a try. So I was like, you know, uh, Darcy, is there any chance that you would uh, pace me, you know, for the for the uh, Leadville 100? And, you know, I thought it was kind of a long shot, you know, but she is so nice and so sweet. And she's like, yeah, like right away. She's like, yeah, I don't have anything going on. I'll I'll come. She, I think she lives outside of Boulder. I'll come to Leadville and pace you for the 100. So I was like, awesome. This is this is great. You know, it's pretty crazy that two people from Birmingham, Michigan end up doing all this stuff in the ultra running world. And we had never sure. met, never met physically. And so I was like super excited and I was going to pick her up at mile 50. And so, um, I got, yeah, at about like 40 to 45, you have to start going up over Hope Pass, 
which is the okay. high point of the whole route. And you go up over Hope Pass, and then you go down, and that's mile 50, but then you have to turn around and come back up over Hope Pass and back down to the rest of the route. Well, when I picked up Darcy, I, I had the starting of uh, elevation sickness, um, oh. altitude sickness, uh, really starting to take its toll on me. Um, I tried to sneak in like a day before the race started. I didn't come like 10 days early to acclimatize. So um, I was just trying to kind of uh, sneak in on the altitude. And um, there I was getting over Hope Pass. The next thing I know, I am just feeling very nauseous. And so I picked Darcy up and, you know, I was like, it's so great to meet you. I'm so fired up. And then like, you know, like five minutes after we're running, I'm like, Darcy, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to get sick. I'm not feeling good at all. And so, so there I am on the side of the trail, just like throwing up. And then at the same time, like, like, like farting and like, you know, like my body was like both ends. It was coming out of both ends and I just couldn't do anything about it. You know, as much as I wanted to, you know, not be doing that, especially in front of Darcy. Right. Um, Maybe a little embarrassing. uh, Quite a bit embarrassing, but you know, it was so, I'll never forget because she's like, you know, she, she goes, you know, she's like, Pete. I've been doing this a long time. I've seen it all. Don't worry about it. You know, just take care of yourself. So she kind of turned her back on me for a little while. Sure. As I'm like, just kind of taking care of myself. And, uh, and I was white as a ghost. And, you know, I yeah. just thought, you know, I'm going to have Darcy kind of take me to the next checkpoint and I'm going to call it a day. I'm going to quit. Um, you know, I, and I'm not a quitter. I think anyone that listens to me for five minutes realize I'm stubborn and, and all this stuff. So I get to the next checkpoint and my crew refuses to let me quit. <laughs> they're like, you know, I was yeah. sitting there saying, you know, I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm here's my bib. And they're like, no, just keep that on. Let's try and get a little food in you. Let's get a little, you know, and they just kind of kept prodding me along. And then someone came up. And by the time I was, uh, by the time I felt like I, I had given up too much time at the aid stations and someone came by and said, if you get up right now and you jog and walk, you have enough time to finish the Leadville 100. And I was like, let's go. So I like got yeah. up and persevered and they have a 30 hour cutoff. I came in at like 29 and a half hours across the finish line and, and finished that race. And so that was awesome, but very embarrassing. But, uh, but Darcy was a great sport about it and, and, and helped a lot. So that was pretty cool. Well, glad to hear you finished. Yeah, you you, uh, you gutted it out literally, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I I, I might have mentioned to you in one of our last uh, times we spoke that I think the longest run I ever did was a five mile. Nice, and um, that was in a former lifetime when I was in law enforcement and I was uh, qualifying for SWAT school. Okay, and um, I am not a runner. Okay, I'm a I'm a, I'm a football sized uh linebacker sized human being yeah running is not my thing buddy <laughs> so it was uh it was very hard but i was very proud of myself for finishing yeah <laughs> so yeah. i have a, i have i i have no idea how mentally someone could go a hundred miles because when i think of a hundred miles i think oh that's like you know 80 minutes of driving <laughs> oh <my laughs> or, or an hour, no two hours of driving it. or whatever right i guess oh not 80 minutes about two hours of driving and and so yeah that's absolutely amazing and and 
to do it for a cause that's really cool. And um, and so again, some inside baseball for those who might have missed um, round one of our podcasts, as I did uh, narrate your autobiography. So I know the story of the snowy owl, and so I find yeah. that fascinating that you did tie those two things together. That's really cool, man. We'll return to the podcast in just a moment. But first, Hometown Hero Outdoors would like to thank the following companies that support HHO and our mission. Relentless Defender Apparel and Gear, Silencer Central Suppressors, Best Defense Armory and Range in Forest Lake, Minnesota, and Tito's Handmade Vodka. We thank them for their support. Now, back to our podcast. It was great. And this Owl Research Institute up in uh, Charlo, Montana, which is just outside of Missoula, Montana, um, this guy, Denver Holt, he's in charge of it. And uh, he is incredible. He's probably the number one world educator in owls. Like he's just so well versed in owls. He studies them all over the world and, and journals everywhere. And and for kind of a science nerdy guy like me, like he's one of my heroes and we've gotten to know each other. We're going to do some talks together and things. And so some fun things are coming together um, just because of the partnership and the fundraising. Um, but, but it's been fantastic. And like I said, I, I made a $50,000 goal and, yep. uh, and I'm about $34,000 in halfway. So it's looking great. Um, and, and I'm super, super happy to, to help in that realm. So have you had any owl encounters since the one up in Alaska? Yes, yes, definitely. I've seen a handful of owls and, uh, and actually here in Asheville, they, uh, they come in my backyard quite often. And so I'll hear, um, Eastern screech owls and then okay. I'll, I'll, I'll hear the, uh, great horned owls, which are, which are the biggest owls, you know, and, sure. uh, you know, I'll just sit out my back porch and uh, try and call them in and and uh, or sometimes what will happen is, um, you know, um, uh, the crows. We have a lot of crows and the crows will mob the um, uh, the crows will like, you know, get together and really bother um, like the hawks and the owls. Um, it's like a preemptive uh, mobbing where, well, they're just because what happens is the owls or the hawks can actually kill the crows you know, if they want to. And so the crows will will kind of proactively get together and just kind of bother the owls. And so sometimes once in a while in like uh, early winter, I'll wake up early in the morning and I'll walk outside and I'll hear a bunch of crows kind of uh, cawing and, and I realize, oh, this is probably a hawk or an owl that they're that they got treed. And so I will kind of search out where the sound's coming from with my binoculars. And quite a few times I've kind of found the action and looked up there and there's a beautiful owl just kind of sitting there peacefully in the tree. And uh, and yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's, I've gotten to know the, you know, the owls and I'm studying them a lot, all the different kinds. Um, so it's fun. I, I think they're they're awesome. I love now I'm kind of known as the owl guy since I'm fundraising. So anytime one of my friends or acquaintances sees an owl or hears an owl or or sees, you know, like, a, uh, you know, something at a, a secondhand shop that's got an owl on it, you know, they're sending it to me and uh, and taking pictures of owls. And so they're wonderful. I think they're the, they're the coolest creatures around. So I've been been really interested in them. So uh, and in my mind, now I'm thinking when you run your last race yes. and you cross the finish line, you need that group Owl City 
to be singing for you, right? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we could get that together. It's good. You know, like I said, I'm going to save my 50th 100-mile run for Montana. And and yeah. and I'm going to I'm going to bring a ton of friends and family up there, um, just like I did for my 50th when I ran the marathons. And we're going to throw a bash and have a party and a fundraiser and uh, and just live it up. And so, uh, you know, who knows what will come by that time? Um, I'm just taking, obviously I'm taking them one at a time. I can't I for a yeah. while I thought I could kind of rush through this project, but uh, not so much. You know, um, these things, any one hundred mile run just takes it out of you and you know you really pay the price for a while after you run and uh so i kind of kind of took a little step back and and now i'm running probably i'll, I'll probably run four or five uh, a year until i finish the project so we're talking okay. you know five six more years before sure uh, god willing before this project is done but uh but i'm like i said i'm not i'm not fighting for the finish i'm just kind of um, you know, using my mindfulness and just saying, hey, all right, this month I'm going to uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and I'm super fired up for that and and see what uh, unfolds there. So it's just a, a really cool way to to travel and to uh, to see a bunch of different uh, places and meet a bunch of cool people. So thinking about that, you had mentioned you're, there's nobody who has done 100 of these or 100 miles in every state yet, correct? Right. So yeah. You- to the best of my knowledge, you know, I've reached out to people that are like historians of the ultra running realm. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, I, I I have not heard of anyone that has done it. Um, and and but then at the same time, like there's been times when I've like like uh, asked, you know, like Alexa or, you know, chat GPT or something. Hey, is there someone that's run 100? And they're like, yes, numerous a few people have done it, but the people that they mentioned that have done it, I know for a fact haven't. And so, um, you know, and, and and I have to say this too, like the reason I'm doing this is that, you know, it's not only because it's never been done. You know, it, it's, it's, it's my happy place. I love going out and running and, and I love all that comes with it. I love inspiring others. I love fundraising. If it comes that I'm the first person that does it, that's fantastic. If it comes that I'm the fourth person, person that's done it that's fantastic too you know i'm not i'm not like all in on being the first that's certainly that's cool and a lot of people like to hear that you know it's kind of like something that you lead with when you're when you're doing advertising and stuff like that but to to be honest it really doesn't make much difference uh, whether i'm first or fifth or you know i think it's a hell of an accomplishment i think you know i think it will take everything in my heart and soul to get there um, I've wanted to quit already numerous times. I can't, can't even tell you how many times where I've been deep into a hundred mile run in some state that I might not, not necessarily want to be in away from my family, you know, with all the things I mentioned, the chafing and the cramps and the sour gut and the blisters. And, and, uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm done when, when I finish this one, I am out I don't care what anyone says. I'm done. And then, you know, it's just amazing that, you know, a day or two after I run, it's like next thing I know, I'm looking for another run or, you know, I'm like, all right, I've come too far to quit. And and my stubbornness takes over and I, uh, I, I, I'm plodding along. So, uh, it's, it's, it's mayhem. It's like a controlled mayhem, but, uh, but it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's who I am. It's, it's what I want to do with my life. And so it's been a lot of fun. What is the closest in days that you ever ran two one hundreds? 
Huh. Well, I have to say that I ran a race called the Tahoe 200, which was a 200-mile run that circumna- uh, circumnavigated Lake Tahoe. Oh, and wow. that was uh, that took 86 hours to run around Lake Tahoe from point to point. And yeah. so that was a that was a super tough one. Um, but, yeah, I would say a couple weeks, you know, um, you know, and, and and, I, you know, it's amazing. I'll see people like a friend of mine here from Asheville did, I think, five one hundreds this summer alone. And so there's a people there's people that their bodies are made to do this. They recover better than I do. Um, and, and again, part of me wants to try and like, do, you know, I, it's definitely crossed my mind to do 10 a year and try and get this thing done in a couple few years, you know, and so I can kind of move on with my life because it takes a lot of my extra money. You know, I, I didn't mention, but I'm paying my way through this project. And so, um, you know, all the money fundraised goes directly to Owl Research Institute. I don't touch a dime of that money. And so I, the promise was that I would pay my, my, my way through the project in, in order for all the donations to go straight to Owl Research Institute. So, you know, it's a, it's a financial commitment. It's a time commitment. It's a physical commitment. It's certainly, you know, I would say taking, taking time off my life, just the grind of, of, of doing that and beating your body up so much. Um, but I'm willing, you know, I promised myself long ago that I would rather be old with stories than old with regrets. And so I kind of promised myself that I was going to go after life, not thinking that at some point I'll pay the price and because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so I really wanted to attack life with as much gusto as I could. And I feel like I'm doing that with this project. So we, we spoke briefly on the last podcast, but you are you have a lot of interests and one of those is golf. Yes. And and so I understand you you like to play golf. I follow you on LinkedIn and I see you you've gone golfing with your buddies and things. But you have the distinction of two things that escapes most golfers. Yeah. You have a hole in one right. and a double eagle. And for those of who, for those who don't golf, a double eagle is actually what I've been told is more rare than a hole in one because it's when you get where you sink the ball into the hole on your second shot on a par five. And so a lot of times that's a longer distance than a par three shot. Right. So can you recount for golf geeks like myself? Yes. uh, Those, those two events that happened. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm fascinated. So my father is also uh, a very good golfer as is, I have a brother who's a scratch golfer. I, I am not. Okay, <laughs> but um, and my uh, but my father had a double eagle once, uh, but no holes in one. And so, can you can you talk about those for a minute? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yes, I I love the sport. Um, it's maddening. I mean, it is such a tough sport. Those guys that play on the professional level make it look so easy. I don't know how they do it. It must just be the amount of practice they put in on a daily basis, but it's not that easy to get out there and swing and put the ball towards the hole. So it's a very humbling sport, but I've had some incredible times with it. I'll tell you about the double eagle first, the, the albatross. Yeah. So I was playing with uh, my my father-in-law and uh, my uh, another friend, and we we're on the we we're in Raleigh. And it's funny I don't even remember the name of the course, but we we're in Raleigh, North Carolina. We we're on the 18th hole. 
Um, and uh, it's a par five, the 18th hole. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I can hit the driver well. I, that's never been an issue for me. I can hit the ball a long ways. Um, um, so I hit, I had hit like a, like probably like a 320 or 330 yard drive. And I was in the That's middle one. Yeah, it was a good one, you know, and I, I, I used to hit a lot further than I do now, but this was, uh, this was probably 10 years ago or more. And, uh, so I hit a big drive. I was out in the middle of the fairway and the green was such that, um, it was kind of, it was kind of, you could see the flag stick, but you couldn't see the green. And then there was okay. water on the other side of the green. And so um, my, my father-in-law was uh, talking to me and I was like, well, how should I shape the shot? You know, and he goes, well, send it up towards that power line. You see that power line over there? Aim it, aim it, start it at that power line. And then I, I usually have a draw. And sure. so he says, you know, hit it at the power line and then let it draw into the, the green. And so I took like a long iron, I think it was like 190 uh, yards to the to the hole, and uh, you know I hit this ball, and I held. I right when I hit it, there was something kind of interesting about it because right when I hit it, it went straight at that power line that he told me to hit it at, and then turned over and started going towards the green, and I was like. I did exactly what you said to do. Like it was a great shot. It was just exactly the shape that he asked for. And it looked like it was going right onto the green. And so I was like super excited. And so, you know, as we're getting up towards the hole, um, you know, I told you there was water on the other side of it. So when I got up to the green, I scanned the green and I didn't see a single ball on the green. I was like, what the hell? I was like, you know, like that, that was a good shot. So I was like, I bet it went over the green and went into the water. So I was I was walking uh, uh, walking to the water's edge to kind of look for golf balls. Sure. Meanwhile, my uh, father-in-law, you know, walks by the the cup and goes, "Hey Pete, why don't you go look in the hole?" And I was no. like, you got, "I was like, you gotta be kidding me!" And I walk by, and here's the best part of it. You know, I had lost my mom to breast cancer research. And that day I was I was playing a ball that had the pink ribbon on it. Sure. And I looked down into the hole, and that pink ribbon is looking up at me from the bottom oh, of the hole. Wow. Albatross two on a par five. And I just started running and screaming and <laughs> yelling. And uh I really didn't know how rare it was. I mean, it's many times more rare than a hole in one. Um, but it was it was fantastic, you know, and uh great way to end around and, and oh, it, yeah. was, it was super, super cool. So that that was the uh the albatross story. And then the, nice. the hole in one story was uh I'm a member at the at the club here in Asheville, and uh, I I hit a I, it was a par three that you could see the green this time, and I hit a great seven iron. Um, it was like a hundred and say hundred and seventy yards, something like that, hundred and sixty yards, and it it landed on the green and started tracking like a putt, and dropped right into the hole. Oh, and, nice! Uh, and so. I I started screaming. I was playing with three guys. I started screaming. I started running down towards the, the green because I just still couldn't believe that it was in the hole. While I was going down, running towards the green, I took my shirt off and I was swinging my shirt around <laughs> like this. just like losing my mind, screaming, and uh, went down there, got the ball out of the cup, held it back up. 
and then ran back up to the tee box, you know, and hugged all my buddies and, and, and come and they said, well, we still need to hit our balls. So, right. so, <laughs> so it was like, it was awesome. And, uh, but it was, it was, it was funny because at the time I was like three under par or four under par. I had, I had a birdie oh, wow. on two and then was two under on that hole in one. And I ended up with like an 80 or something. I mean, I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to shoot like a 60, 65 today, you know, right. and it's just like not even close. Uh, and I, and I started doing a little bit of celebrating, you know, on the back nine too. So well, good for you. <laughs> yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my my closest ever. There was a club that my father and I used to play a league at, nine hole league. And there's a par three. It's uh, I want to say it's about uh, depending on. There's two sets of tees for that particular hole. Sure. But uh, depending on the tees, it's it's right at that you know 150. So for me, that's uh, eight iron depending sure. on wind. And yeah. that day I hit an eight and it landed in front and the way the green sloped away from you. So you, it, you know, when it's rolling, you can see the ball yeah. and I hit the green and it starts rolling towards the pin and it stopped 18 inches in front of the hole, <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll take it. It was a beautiful Actually, shot. I got yeah. the birdie. Tap in birdies yeah. are great, you know, but it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lucky thing. I mean, I don't like, I have played with, golfers that are 10 times better than me and they've never had one, you know, and they've sure. been close numerous times. And so I just think it's like the way it bounces or, you know, I, I very rarely do. I think someone's so good that they literally put it exactly where they want to. It's just like kind of, you know, it's, it, it's yep. up to the golf gods. I don't know, you know, yep. but that's awesome. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's fun. I, I didn't get to play this year as much as I wanted, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's probably the most frustrating, but can be the most rewarding, yeah, uh, exactly. when you're playing well, or when you strike a good one, cause you can have a horrible round and you get to, like you say, the 18th hole and you par the 18th hole. You're like, this game's great. I know. I can't <laughs> yeah, it's fun. play again. You know, it's yeah, like, exactly. It takes to, to make you want to come back. So it's, it's a great sport, super fun. I've had uh, uh, and, and hope to still have a lot of fun with that. That's something I definitely want to put some more time and energy into uh, when when this Owl Run Hundreds project is over. But, you know, that I, I just kind of take it when it comes for now. I'm raising two girls and I'm busy and it, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't get to play as often as I'd like either. But it's, uh, it's well, a then, fun Then sport. you start the Owl uh, Foundation <laughs> uh, golf tournament every year yeah. down there in Nashville, right? <laughs> talking yes yes yeah that i'll be waiting for my invite for that you'll get it <laughs> you're, you're on the list man you're on oh the list. nice yeah so so then for a guy who has all this stuff going on right you're an avid outdoorsman when it comes to running uh golf spending time in the great outdoors what's next what what are you looking forward to doing after you get the 100s done yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, this is, uh, like I said, this is still going to be a, a chunk of time longer. So yeah. it's not anything that I'm super close to. Um, but uh, but I do have some, uh, I, there's a couple things that I'll say that I really would like to do before my life is over. Um, one is I would like to go down to Antarctica and I'd like to get to that. I'd like to get to the South Pole. Um, I think, I think a South pole expedition would be really, really, really cool. I've, uh, I've done a lot of studying about it and, um, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the endurance or Shackleton's yes, uh, voyage. Absolutely. 
and uh, that that book made a gigantic impression on me. And um, and 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 so um, the history of of that place is has called my name. Um, and I don't think you know I don't think it will be the type of thing where I'm trying to do it as fast as as possible. I think it will be just a really fun you know uh, you know arduous time with a couple friends and uh, and just kind of earning your way to the South Pole. I I don't see it as being you know one of those things where you're trying to you know uh, break time records or anything like that. I, I think at probably by the time I get down there and do that, um, you know, I'll probably be a little bit older and a little bit grayer and uh, it will probably be more just about the adventure than, than anything else. And then I also want to climb Denali. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I've, I've spent so much time in Alaska and st- uh, study that, uh, that mountain so often. And, you know, I lived in the foothills of that mountain for a while. And, uh, I would look up there and just say, you know, at one, one time I would love to, to, uh, to, you know, have a mountaineering trip to, to Denali. And, uh, if, if I could ski down, I'm a telemark skier. So if I could ski down that make it even better, but, you know, um, just, just, just taking the time. And, uh, I have some people I've started kind of talking through that with and, uh, that are interested in it as well. And so, uh, yeah, those, those things are, uh, those things are two things that I'd really love to do, um, before it's all said and done. So, uh, you know, well, it's, there's uh, some big, hairy, audacious goals you got there, brother. Yeah, that's the way I roll, man. I, I just, um, I, I really like those big, hairy goals that are tough to gnaw at and that that fight back. Um, you know, I learned that from running the marathons. You know, I'm just, I'm just not the one that wants the low hanging fruit. You know, I, I, I want the, uh, the physical and the spiritual and the mental aspect kind of all to come together and and make it, you know, very difficult. So yeah, I. Uh, you know, I, I I shoot for the moon, and I, that's that's the way I that's the way I was raised. Uh, you know, like like I said, you know, uh, 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 Amelia Earhart is uh, and as you know from from uh, from you know it, helping me with the book. Um, Amelia Earhart is a distant cousin of mine, and she comes from my family line. And uh, and I remember kind of studying her when I was younger and thinking, you know, Amelia's dead and gone and has been for a long time but yet people are still talking about her and like to me that was a legacy you know and and i wanted to make a legacy of my own and so you know these things that i do um you know yes they're fun for me but i really want to put something out in my life to where you know when i'm dead and gone i want people to be like well you know pete while he was alive he did he did these things and you know, maybe some others can, you know, follow in my footsteps or, or take it a, a step further as, as most young people do. You know, I'm, uh, I certainly am not doing it thinking, you know, I have arrived at any, I'm a lifelong learner. I, I, you know, I've learned a lot about myself. Um, so, you know, I, I, I know that there's more talented athletes that can do the things I've done on a, on a grander scale and more power to them. I hope I can inspire others to do those things, but I, I, I would lie if I said, I didn't want to leave a leg legacy in this in this life all that being said and all your life experiences pete what is a piece of advice that you would give to people struggling to find themselves or maybe having self-doubt yeah i think i i'm glad you asked that um you know i really feel like being um uh like i, I really feel like it's important to put your dreams and your thoughts out on paper you know, I, I, I feel it's important to kind of, you know, uh, re- 
you know, think of it what what you want to do. And the way I think about it is like, what did you want to do when you were a kid? You know, you hear about so many people that are like, you know, they had these big dreams when they were younger. And then all of a sudden, you know, they they get into middle age and, you know, they think, oh, well, shoot, I missed the boat. And oh, well, so I'll just give up and I'll just give up on life. And I'll just kind of talk about what I did when I was 18. And it's like, I just never had much time for people like that. You know, I'm like, what are you doing today? What are you doing now? I don't really care what you did 20 years ago. And I, I would hope people say the same with me. And so, um, you know, I would just say that, you know, yeah, put those goals out on paper and then kind of work backwards for those. Like, you know, rather than being like, you know, this is what I want to do. I don't have no any idea. Well, you know, kind of take the latter steps that you need to, you know, like when I ran my marathons, it wasn't like, well, if for me, I did run a marathon kind of impromptu, but like for most people, they're not going to just go run a marathon, right? So you like, like you run the 5k and you run the five mile run and you run the half marathon and, you know, and, and, and so you, you, you kind of methodically work towards your goals. Um, but I, 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 I really feel like, you know, in order to, to understand what those goals are, you have to think back to when you're younger and, 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 you know, anytime you can reconnect with goals from your childhood, I think it's beautiful, you know, because life just happens so fast, you know, I mean, I'm turning 47 next month. I can't believe that, you know, and, um, and, and so it's, for me, it's like, you know, I still have these goals that I want to work towards, but it's, I'm not just a dreamer, you know, I'm, I'm willing to kind of lay the groundwork and work towards those goals. So I would say that's a piece of advice is just to, you know, uh, make realistic goals and then methodically chew them apart and, and be a bulldog about it, you know, and, and, and also, um, uh, uh, let me say this, right. Um, something that I've, uh, uh, really lean on a lot is, uh, uh, using failures as stepping stones to success. You know, mm. I think I think a lot of times if you make big enough goals, you should be failing. Um, you know, and I when I give my when I talk and in, in my public speaking, I, I hone in on this a lot because, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I, I have these goals and then you try and you fail and then some people just give up. And it's like, you know, if you're making big goals, you should be failing like that's going to be a part of the whole equation. And so just to learn from those failures and kind of keep moving forward is a, is a big piece of advice as well. Pete, if people want more information about your hour one, Owl Run 100s, or to have you as their special event speaker, where can they find that information or find you? Yeah, I'm on social media, you know, Pete Ripmaster. I, I, let's see, I do Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. And then uh, my website is PeteRipmaster.com. And that's got, uh, that's got information about the public speaking and about the Owl Run 100s. And then it's definitely got a, got a way to get in touch with me and, uh, you know, and so yeah, that that would be the best ways for sure. But I'm wide open, and so um, uh, free to talk to anybody too. Like, definitely uh, don't mind people reaching out, asking advice or questions, or or uh, you know, or or the like. So, no, oh, and that's very appreciative. Uh, we are very appreciative for that, and um, we very much appreciate you taking the time twice to uh, talk to us and our HHO audience. And I, I really hope that the things that we talked about would be inspiring to some folks. 
Um, and, uh, especially I really like what you just said a minute ago about that, your big goals that you will fail, right? Cause if, if it's a, that big of a goal, it's going to be hard to achieve. And I really yeah. like that thought process. Yeah. You so, know, I, I remind people regularly, you know, I, yes, I won the Iditarod, but my first year I was last place. Um, I tried and failed twice to get to Nome and and quit two years in a row. And so it was littered with failures along the way. But I did. I never took those as, you know, uh, as things that were going to set me back. I just thought, OK, I'm back to the drawing board. What can I learn? And so it, it, it ended up in a good place. But I always like to tell people, you know, my, my first year I was last place. And so it was a. Uh, you know, I, I just I just nod away at it. And, uh, and that's what I feel like people can do for sure. Pete, you're a great human being. Uh, I just I, I love it. You inspire me and I love it. Uh, I also want to let everyone know that you can find Pete's autobiography anywhere books are sold called The Long Way Home. How I won the 1000 mile I did a rod foot race with persistence, patience and passion. Also available on Audible. And so thank you, Pete, for uh, taking time to join us again on the this week's podcast. And uh, as a listener to this podcast, if you are in a dark place or having a difficult time, please reach out to us at Hometown Hero Outdoors. Our staff is trained in applied suicide intervention specialty training, also called ASSIST, which is crisis intervention training. Uh, you can also call 988, which is the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline because there's always someone willing to help you through your dark times and talk to you. I'm Phil Ewert, guest hosting for Chris Tatro on the Hometown Hero Outdoors podcast. Thank you for watching this week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Hometown Hero Outdoors podcast. For more information, visit our website at hometownherooutdoors.org.